welcome to Blue Royalty, a London is Blue podcast dedicated to the Chelsea women's team. I'm your host, Jess Park Humphreys, joined by Abdullah Abdullah after a slightly uncomfortable 3-2 win for Chelsea over Liverpool as a Sam Kerr hat-trick sends us through to the fifth round. Abdullah, have you recovered from uh, maybe slightly unexpected uh, Sunday afternoon r- roller coaster? Um, I mean, just 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 enough, <laughs> just 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 recovered enough. Um, it was crazy. I mean, one nil, it's fine. Then two nil, right? Comfortable. Then two one. Oh no, stress. And then three one. Yeah, comfortable again. Then three two, stressing. Oh, what are you doing? Like, did you guys like the the, the postponement of last week just kind of like get everybody into holiday mode or something? Because it just <laughs> it's just like you guys played like couple of days ago what happened i don't know so yeah super stressful but you know what a win is a win uh liverpool seems to be this new bogey team now for the league or in general so i do not one i want i want to have but it is what it is yeah um definitely quite an up and down game it definitely was feeling the nerves but before we get into it abdullah we have to start talking about the news that broke on Saturday night that I think threatens to overshadow this FA Cup match, uh, both for Chelsea and I guess maybe for Arsenal. Tom Gary tweeting in a joint exclusive with Anton Toulois from Sky that Chelsea are attempting to sign Katie McCabe before the transfer deadline. Yes, that is Arsenal's Katie McCabe. Arsenal have rejected a substantial bid and have no desire to sell. For anyone who doesn't know, Katie McCabe has been at Arsenal for eight years. She's Ireland captain. She can play as a wide forward or as a fullback, normally on the left. Um, She's Arsenal's player of the season (laughs) last year. Yeah, like this is about as wild a proposed transfer as I think anyone (laughs) could have come up with. Like, I think all of Twitter was aghast. Um, Rob at RJP Journalism as well, tweeting as well, having followed up with my sources, I understand McCabe was recommended by several senior Chelsea women players as a good recruitment option. McCabe would like to meet Emma Hayes to discuss a proposal. Um, Abdullah, I know you were asleep when this news broke, but what was your reaction when you opened up the, the fire pit of Twitter on Sunday morning? I woke up and I thought I was still dreaming. I thought I didn't wake up properly because I'm like, what is going... Katie McCabe to Chelsea? I mean, it's just like came out of nowhere. And my first reaction was... The uh, first reaction was, hold on, give me a second. Where is she going to play? Um, and for some reason, my mind cast to Guru Wrighton's left wing. And I went, what? no, no, Guru can't leave. What's, what's going on here? And then I went, wait, 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 wait. She can play left back as well. And I went... And I, but I still it just took me the rest of the day to digest and just sink through as to whether she'd be a good signing or not. But I, but my first initial reaction was, um, I don't know what to make of this. This is just weird. I think I think it's just weird. Yeah, I mean, weird. I think does sum it up for me in in some ways. I last night. Uh, when I was going to bed, I was like imagining, you know, when like all the players walk out the tunnel, like what the line <laughs> would look like if Katie McCabe was in it in a Chelsea shirt. And my brain was just like, no, I cannot compute this. Um, yeah, this really just came out of nowhere. Uh, McCabe has 18 months left on her deal. There's been no suggestion at all that she's not happy at Arsenal. Although, you know, I guess if you look at the way maybe Jonas has used her recently because of their injury crisis, she's been used on the right wing a lot. Um, I don't know if because she's got her eye on the World Cup and she predominantly plays on the left for Ireland, she she doesn't enjoy that. Maybe she doesn't get on with Jonas. Who knows? Let's leave the kind of surprise aside. Do you think this would be a good signing for Chelsea? If it were able to happen. I think under specific circumstances, and I think that circumstance would be mainly because of the fact that I wouldn't want to see this player on the bench a whole lot, would be if Magda Eriksson doesn't resign and continue, I think it's the only circumstance I can see this being a good transfer because then it kind of fits the mold of having attacking wingbacks, attacking fullbacks, you can, you know, and then having someone who can play kind of in a, a versatility across across the left and right hand side um yeah and then it kind of maybe maybe gives balance to your back four right because you're playing McKay 
Buchanan, Bray, and then say Parise or Charles, right? It gives you that little bit of balance and you have natural width both going forward and coming back uh, in the team. So and from that perspective, yeah, I think it would make a great signing, but I think it's just contingent on the fact of what happens with with, uh, with Magda Eriksson. Yeah, I mean, if Magda Eriksson were to leave, there aren't many players who I would be more keen to get in. And this is what's so weird about this, is just like McCabe is a player I wouldn't have even had on my list, not because I don't rate her, but just because I would never have thought it would be even a possibility. I think in terms of fit, she would be perfect. Um, She's shown that she can play just as left back, but she can also play as a wing back. We know Chelsea kind of like to switch between that back three and back four. She's got WSL experience. She's got Champions League experience. She's a leader on the pitch. She's passionate. Her disciplinary record is a bit of a question mark, but equally, uh, God, who would want to face a team with Aaron Cuthbert and Katie McCabe in? Because that is a team who who would get involved um, in the in the tackles there. It, honestly, I feel like it would be a perfect fit. Twenty seven years old, um, you can basically sign her down in the prime of her career. Uh, you know she's going to be settled in London already, so you don't have to worry about any of that. Um, if Magda Eriksson were to stay, I still think you can make it work. You know, I think it would be trickier. Um, and there are a lot of players floating around. I do think this is like a signing that if it's going to happen, the writing would be on the wall um, for Magda. But also, you know, Emma Hayes, there have been plenty of times where I've been like, I don't think Emma Hayes can make this combination of players work. And she's generally proved that she can. Um, So I wouldn't totally rule it out anyway. The more pressing question is, look, it's currently Sunday, the 29th of January. We are recording at 6pm UK time and the transfer window closes in two days. Is this actually going to happen at all? (laughs) Uh, No, I think we're being realistic. No, not with two days left. You know, let's let's say for let's say for argument's sake, yes, you know, fees agreed and everything. Arsenal have to go and find a replacement. Arsenal is going to let her go without having a replacement in hand. And I don't think their list of uh, transfer targets are going to move now with clubs then knowing that Arsenal will panic need a player to play that left-hand, right-hand side. So I just don't think it'll happen. Look, there's still 18 months left on Katie McCabe's contract. So there's still some hold um, in with Arsenal. But I think it would just look super sketch on Arsenal's side, especially with their fans that you sold you know, one of our players to uh, a, a major rival and strengthen them, especially in the title race, that's still neck and neck. So, yeah, I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, this would be, I think, pure insanity from an Arsenal perspective. Jonas Eideval saying after Arsenal's FA Cup game today that there's absolutely no chance of the move happening. Emma Hayes saying after our game that there'll be no more incomings or outgoings from Chelsea in January. Um, the only thing I think is this is something that will get pushed down the road to the summer and it's a bit of, you know, whether it's McCabe or Chelsea, kind of letting everyone know that the interest there, uh, that the money's on the table and that maybe when there's only a year left on the contract, Arsenal might look to cash in when they do have time to go out and get... Because it's not even that they need a direct Katie McCabe replacement, because I think this is part of their problem, right? They they play Steph Catley at left-back now. It's the fact that they're basically using McCabe to plug any other holes, and we know Arsenal's squad is already quite thin. Um, so I think that will be... They also have um, a bit of an issue with homegrown players and their numbers of homegrown players, and I don't know how Katie McCabe would fit into that. Um, but I imagine she might count as one. So that also, I mean, I could be totally wrong on that, but that also might be something to bear in mind. Um, I would be very, very surprised because also just, just as you say, Abdullah, for the, the optics of it would be ridiculous. You know, Arsenal are in a title race. They could still win four trophies, all of which Chelsea are involved in as well. I mean, I guess she'd be cup tied for the Conti Cup and for the FA Cup. Um, not sure how the Champions League rule works. Uh, but either way, it's just, you know, the idea that you would sell your last year's player of the season to Chelsea um, for any amount of money, to be honest. Um, but let's be real, it's not. it doesn't sound like it'd be record-breaking amounts of money. Would just be bonkers. But... Who knows? I would have said that this link even existing would have been bonkers. Um, <laughs> so watch this space. I do think it might be something that pops up again in the summer. Now we know that the interest there. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm with Abdullah on this one. I think it would be 
Very, very surprising if it happened. Uh, but that wraps up our Katie McCabe What the Fuck section. Uh, we are going to take a quick ad break. Thanks to our sponsors for supporting the show. Big thank you to everyone listening because we asked for it. You delivered 102 five-star reviews on Spotify. Thank you so much for your support. We really, really appreciate it. Keep sharing and talking about the show. Um, it's amazing to, to see you guys enjoying it and, and we really appreciate everything. But let's get into the actual football that happened. Uh, now we've done transfer gossip section. Um, and... Let's start, of course, with a three-word match review. Abdullah, I will run through some of my favourites on Twitter whilst you have a little chance to think. So we've got Ollie Glanville coming in with Kurt Cull's comeback. Clayton going disjointed but victorious. Ishan Kirby is back. Neom Boogie Team is defeated. Uh, RM going unnecessary Chelsea stressful. And Damian Marshall with King's Meadow hat-trick heroics. Abdullah, where, where are you going for your three-word match review? Oh gosh, uh, I think I just want to. I don't know. I don't know if I should go saying stress related, but I think S- Sam the Fire Kerr. I th- it's just, I mean, like literally, just this out of you know. I love Sam Kerr. I, th- I thought I thought her performance was really really good in in a game that was so up and down. I felt like she was one of two players that was probably very consistent. Kept exploiting the back line. Kept. You know, punishing the Liverpool backlines. I, I thought she was really good. So I think Sam the Firecutter is, is the way to go. Yeah, I will go stress related. I'm going to go with unnecessary amount stress. There should probably be an of in there, but I'm making you a fit. And it's fine. I did a round trip to drive to this game, so I'm tired. So I'm going to get away with it uh, because I'm in charge. Um, but yeah, just a game where it was just like, did not need to be. I did not need to be, like, stood watching the seconds count down, like, from the added time on my phone. Like, it should ne- like it should never have happened, and we will get into the reasons why um, it shouldn't have been in this position and maybe why it did. But, listen, we won. We beat Liverpool. It was, the game was on Sunday the 29th of January, FA Cup at King's Meadow. Second time lucky, of course, but we did see more than six minutes of action. Uh, Chelsea, three, Liverpool, two. Goals from Sam Kerr on the 32nd, 52nd and 79th minute. Um, Kerry Holland pulled one back for Liverpool in the 62nd before Gemma Bonner scrambled in in the 85th as well. Uh, Abdullah, talk us through this Chelsea team. Yeah, so um, actually a pretty decently strong team here for, for, this, for this game. So Musovic continues her her run in, in, Chelsea's, uh, in Chelsea's goal. Back four of uh, Neve Charles, Buchanan, Bright and Jess Carter. Um, midfield duo of Jesse Fleming and Aaron Cuthbert with Lauren James, Guru Wright and Frank Kirby making up the rest of the midfield. And then you had Sam Kerr leaving the line, which um, pretty strong team. Um, good to see Frank Kirby back playing in there and, 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 and you know, Jesse Fleming getting uh, getting a rare start as well. Yeah, I mean... I think it's interesting. I actually kind of feel good that we had this FA Cup draw. I think at the time when the draw was made, I was like, oh, of course, we're like one of the only WSL teams to draw another WSL team, let alone the only team we've lost to this season. But this run of games has been so stop and start, especially with the Liverpool game being called off last week. But I did think it was a good opportunity for us to play a full strength team. Eve Peretze and Katarina Svitkova were both injured and unavailable. Felina Harder is obviously a long-term absentee. So, yeah, not a whole amount of changes. I guess the interesting bits to note, Musevich kept her place, Jess Carter kept her place. Um, maybe we can talk a bit about both of them uh, as we get into it. Liverpool um, set up in their kind of uh, standard 4-2-3-1. Um, I'll just talk us through this because I think it's important when we talk about how Liverpool kind of changed uh, later on in the game. So they had Rachel Laws in goal. Some very bizarre antics from Rachel Laws today. Uh, Jasmine Matthews and Nifahi uh, in central defence with Emma Coivisto on the right and Meg Campbell on the left. Fortunately, didn't see many of Meg Campbell's long throws. So that was a good thing. Uh, Nagano at the base of midfield with Kerry Holland and Missy Bocans. Mel Lawley on the left. Yana Daniels on the right and Katie Stengel up front. Substitutes for Chelsea who came on. Sophie Ingle, Magdalena Eriksson, Marami Elder, Johanna Rissing Canarid and... Drummer, please. Melly Leipoltz. Um, and we'll talk a bit more about that as we get into the show. Um, stats, Abdullah, show this was quite an even game. The thing that stood out for me was, was Chelsea's pass accuracy, 75%. Um, and something Emma Hayes talked about 
was that Chelsea got kind of drawn into playing Liverpool's game. Did you feel like that was the case, that the game was a bit bitty, a bit fragmented? Because from, from my view, there were like large portions where it was just a bit like hit and hope from both sides. Yeah, no, I agree. Even from from watching it on 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 TV, I thought it was I thought it was very disjointed. I think especially in the middle portion of the game, I just felt like Chelsea were just playing into Liverpool's hands almost. Like they they want like Liverpool wanted it to be scrappy, and they were giving them scrappy because anytime the um, anytime the ball the ball was was in a position to be played out nicely progressed through the middle it was just like all right let's just get it over the top and go there or any and then a lot of the passing i think was definitely wayward i mean i think that just showed the lack of sophie ingle in the side today the fact that there was no real controller in there no one there to really calm possession down and again we've talked about the fleming and and erin cuthbert of this world and i think they're both fantastic at what they do but i think sophie ingle with the way she'd be able to control and you know, you. I think a lot of people don't understand and and, and maybe uh, rate or not rate. I would say underrate almost the presence of someone who can just play simple passes and just keep possession rotated through midfield, through the lines. You know, and just keep hold of the ball because I I felt like today, a lot of the time that when when I think the both goals for Liverpool came at moments where Chelsea were just panicking in midfield and panicking trying to get the ball out and I, and I was like I, I literally I think I tweeted and I was telling somebody else I was like if they don't calm down now and just play it normally and just get the slow the game down a little bit they will just there's just this is going to go this is just going to be for Liverpool and every time that happened it ended up being a set piece and then they did something so yeah I, I thought it was definitely uh, I think I thought the passing was definitely an issue today Okay, let's do a bit of Maria from The Sound of Music and go back to the very beginning before we get into where Liverpool maybe grew into this game because this was quite a solid start to the match. I thought we looked confident. I thought we looked comfortable. And to me, it felt like a marked difference from the six minutes last week, which I know was maybe a bit different because of ice. But I felt like Liverpool came out in that game and they did really rattle us earlier on um we saw Katie Stengel I think uh causing issues again obviously you know she was really problematic in that first game of the WSL season where we lost to Liverpool um but I thought initially it was like everything we hadn't seen in the Tottenham game where there was neat passing um there was like clever movement I thought Jesse Fleming and Aaron Cuthbert did really well to control the midfield. And something I thought was really interesting was seeing Millie be really aggressive with Katie Stengel and step out. And I thought this is interesting, Abdullah, because normally we see Millie as the sitting defender almost, and it would be Magda or Kodisha who'd maybe take the step out. And I didn't know if you noticed this, but I thought it was maybe an interesting... Um, demonstration of maybe how Buchanan's settled into the side that it was like Millie was the player who I think physically it makes sense for her to be up against Stengel but she was willing to take the step out and and kind of trust Buchanan and Musevic and Carter to clean up yeah no I uh, I agree I saw that and I, and I also felt like that played a part in the fact that I thought Buchanan wasn't the one progressing the ball as much I think that fell on to uh, a little bit on Jess Carter, obviously when they switched into the three, at, at least in the first half, Carter was the one pushing out, trying to play it out from the back, along with Millie Bright, you know, stepping up as the aggressor. And I thought that was, I thought it was good. And I think, yeah, I thought, well, you could analyze, you can analyze something from six minutes of a game and, and have it abandoned after that. So that's, that's a positive from that. Week. We should have done um, a podcast. <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, but it also helps the fact that you're playing the same opponent a week later. Um, no, I, I thought, I thought, it was. I think Liverpool coming out aggressive in that game. I think was the same as what they did in in, in the. It was sorry, slightly different to what they did in the first game of the season, where they were a little bit laid off, and then they started, you know, counterattacking. Whereas here they wanted to press Chelsea, and I thought, in a way, it's kind of it's kind of good that it got abandoned because I think those first six seven minutes, I I think if Chelsea hadn't recovered, they could have gone a goal or two down the way things were going. But I think in this game, I think they learned from it, and the fact that. I think Katie Stengel is actually a pretty good strike. I, I th- actually think that there is a level for her to go up, but there is not a... I mean, there's a universe where I can see her going into a top team uh, if she continues on this trajectory. 
And I think the fact that Chelsea had to pay like Millie Bright was tasked with, okay, you're going to man mark and be really aggressive because she relies on physicality as well as, as pressing and, and playing through the channels. So getting someone to match that, I think, was a really good switch by Mahe. So, okay, Buchanan is strong, no no doubt, but Millie Bright's a specimen. She's 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 a beast on the pitch and knows how to knows how to really press and be aggressive against players. So I thought that was really, really good. Um but yeah, I thought I thought I thought the overall, I thought and maybe and probably that's why Jess Carter was selected to play. She's more physical than Magda Eriksson at the left hand side. New Charles, like we've talked about, has built herself up in the gym in the, in, over the summer. So if anything, that back line was built, was was picked on their I think not just on their skill, but I think on their physicality as well, because they know that Liverpool being aggressive in those first six minutes of the previous game, no, and the way they've been playing, they want to press teams, be aggressive. And I thought this was just a counter to Liverpool's aggressiveness and physicality that they were bringing into the into the game. Yeah, and I think it worked really well. And I was really impressed with... I actually think throughout the game, they kept Stengel very, very quiet. And I, I agree. And like speaking to people who played against her, like... She is a very physical player. She is hard to defend against. And I think it was sensible for Chelsea to just be like, okay, like, fuck the fancy, like, zonal stuff. We will just go man-to-man on a player like Stengel because we saw how, how much of an issue she caused Buchanan, for example, in that previous game. But Liverpool definitely grew into the match. Chelsea kind of missed some early opportunities. But Sam Kerr gives us the lead at, I think, the perfect time, you know, and just after that 30-minute mark. Um... An absolutely fantastic volley, classic, just Sam finish, where you're like, wow, I don't really quite understand how she's done that, and she's also made it look very easy. Um, That goal, she scored more, spoiler alert, Um, (laughs) that goal was the one, though, that uh, tipped her over to become Chelsea's second all-time top goal scorer. Only Fran Kirby has ever scored more goals for Chelsea women than Sam Kerr. Uh, 77 goals in 97 appearances. I believe it's quite hard to, as with all women's football statistics, to actually pin it down. Um, But, Adela, we will talk more about Sam's other goals in a bit, but just a word on the goal, the first goal she scored and also uh, her reaching that mark. I think, first of all, amazing achievement. And to do it in the time that she's been at the club, I mean, 97 appearances, she's been there, you know, what's 2019, 2020. It's just, it just feels like she signed yesterday and she's already scored. Like, the stat actually got me like, like what, how? Like, I know she scored a lot of goals, but she's already on 77 and, you know, in, in, in just under 100 appearances. Like, it's it's insane. I mean, you consider the time Fran Kirby's been there. And you look at the number of goals that Frank Kirby has in on 109 versus the 77. You're like, you've done that in a fraction of the time that Frank Kirby's done it in. So where are you actually going to end up? I, mean, I think that that race is just going to be there between Kerr and Kirby. And I, bet, I bet Kirby's in that dressing room going, I see you. I see you. I just, I'll, I'll be back. <laughs> we'll be back for my goals. But um, So I think it's a fantastic achievement. And I think it just goes to show that um you know Chelsea picked up the, the right player convinced them convinced her at the right time and 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 you know glad that she's here scoring scoring the goals and is is arguably probably the best striker in the world right now so yeah no doubt and I think on the on the goal itself I, th- I just like I said I thought I thought Kerr was was fantastic I thought her movement in this game was really really good and, and I and I felt like she exploited Liverpool's defense in a, in a way that Every single time the play was sitting was 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 run through the right hand side, she she chose her timing of her runs to get into the box on that left sided channel behind. I think it was Nifahi on the on the right hand side of Liverpool's uh, centre back pairing. Um, every time, just crept behind her and crept behind that Liverpool backline, and it's almost like she did that move every single time. They just couldn't catch her. They could not catch Sam Kerr making those movements. And I thought the volley itself was just like absolutely fantastic. I mean, you you get there, you look at the technique, you look at that aesthetically pleasing and everything. So I thought it was a perfect start. And, a, and it, I think it, it helped the fact that against an uh, opponent like Liverpool, the fact that it wasn't a scrappy goal on the line that was just tapped in, I think made helped Chelsea's you know, confidence going to game because when you score a goal that's as technically good as what Sam did, you're like, all right, yeah, we did it, we did it right. That goal might might have been coming, you know, in in their minds, and and 
it just puts them at ease going, all right, we scored a good goal from maybe the part of the game plan and not just something random that just scrambled in the middle of the box from a set piece and then, you know, they just they just whacked it in from, from someone. So, yeah, I thought I thought it was a, it was a good goal and a good, good foundation to take the rest of the game. Yeah, and, you know, I think also just a word, obviously lots of the focus will be on Sam Kerr's entire Chelsea career um, as kind of short as it is, although it's, you know, it is getting longer now. She has been at the club for, for three years. Um, but lots of people, you know, talking about her season and, you know, whether she was kind of up to the level. But she's on, I think, 16 goals in all competitions and now this season, which is a pretty impressive uh, number given we're just over halfway through um, some important games, obviously still to come. But you wouldn't put it past her to finish with 30 plus goals in a season again, which, you know, if that's my striker on a bad day like <laughs> or a bad year, I will take that every time because it's just ridiculous. And, you know, I think we, me and Ollie talked about it in the the pods after the Continental Cup quarterfinal, but it's just like, even when she's not at her best, she just still finds the moments to score. And I was listening to the radio on my drive back today and they were talking about, you know, strikers who were just able to kind of put misses to the back of their heads and just believe there was always another opportunity to come in. And it's just like Sam Kerr epitomises that, you know. she all, And that's credit to the Chelsea team as well. She always knows there's another opportunity coming because of the quality of the players in the team. But not only that, she's just like her mental strength that she doesn't think about when she's had the miss, even though, you know, some people might be like, oh my God, you know, the the one-on-one in this game where you're like, how how has she not scored that? But that's like so classic Sam Kerr. She'll score the ridiculous goals. She'll miss the easy ones, but it doesn't matter because she's just like, yeah, all right, like I'll wait till the next one. And, and then, you know, nine times out of 10, she takes the next one. Um, so... Yeah, uh, an amazing achievement. She had a fantastic game today. Uh, she, you know, a big shout of being being player of the match. And uh, what, six goals in the first three games of 2023? Uh, if we can keep on at this two goals a game uh, ratio, I will be more than happy with that. Um, I just want to talk, uh, whilst we're still on the, the first half, I think another thing that really stood out for me was... Jesse Fleming and Aaron Cuthbert, I, I, I mentioned this earlier, but they're controlling midfield. Um, Ollie Glanville tweeting after the game that Emma kind of picked out Jesse Fleming in her post-match huddle, uh, high fives uh, uh, as as Emma pointed at her and appeared to say, that's what I want to see. Uh, Ollie says, Jesse was at her dynamic best today and key in a lot of our attacking and counter-pressing play. I thought this was a, a much better Jesse Fleming performance. We talked before about how she doesn't, Maybe that 10 role is not quite right, but I thought the eight role she played today where also her and Erin were kind of splitting, taking a side of the pitch each and being that kind of possession option, I thought they both did really, really well to help, at least in the, the first half, Chelsea have a real control of that midfield area. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I actually was, when I saw the lineup, when I saw them together, I was actually quite... Uh, interested and I was trying quite keen to think to see how those two would perform because I, I I believe we have we haven't seen them as a pairing as as two eights or two sixes before right so I think this is probably one of the first times that we're we're seeing them as this this pairing and I think coming up against Liverpool also playing um a four two three one of sorts I thought uh it was a good opportunity for them to go man for man almost and and I think they knew that they've you know they they're coming up against two of Liverpool sixes who are both bo- both um really good on the ball as well so I think it just required two players that were in there that that could just that were dynamic that could run or that could work as much off the ball as they can on the ball because we know the technical quality that both Aaron and and especially Jesse Fleming have on the ball when they have it they we know they can run with it they can progress they can dribble um, and they can pass, but off the ball, I think you needed two players to be able to manage that Liverpool midfield. And I felt like this was one of the first few games where I was like, where I, I everywhere I look, Jesse Fleming is running, and I just saw number seventeen uh, pretty much across the pitch everywhere. Um, and it's telling that Fleming stayed till the end of the game. She was she didn't get subbed off. You know, ninety, ninety four, ninety five minutes. She played the entire game. 
And, you know, whereas in previous games, she's one of the first two, three subs to get hooked off for, for another attacking player. And I think it was telling that, you know, that she stayed on. And I thought she was she was vital to the thing. And I, so I think, you know, like you said, we, we've talked about what is Jesse Fleming's best role. It could be as this dynamic um, off-ball runner when, when you need it, when you need more legs in midfield. And I, I think one thing I was thinking about, uh, and I know we'll get to this later with Melina Leupold's coming back, but... This to me opens up the opportunity of if Chelsea in big games want to play 4-3-3, you can play Fleming Cuthbert plus one, or you can play Fleming Leupold plus one, and suddenly you now have options to play three in midfield with 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 a number six with a single pivot and two eights, and then you can play that against big teams. And I really feel like this has unlocked a really big tactical option for the team. The fact that Fleming thrived in this sort of role. Yeah, I definitely think that an Aaron. Fleming, Cuthbert, midfield. I would be very much into that. The only question is, though, is do you, are you going to drop a Kirby, a Kankovic to, to make that yeah. happen? I mean, but you're right. It's, it's an option and, and that's exciting. And, you know, given that six months, a year ago, we were like, we don't have any midfielders to be like, wow, we how do we drop some of these midfielders is, is a really, really yeah. good position to be in. Um, but we're going to take a quick ad break. Uh, and when we come back, we will talk about the second half. So, great starts in the second half. A lovely Kirby goal. Uh, cheeky Lauren James dummy to give Chelsea a 2-0 lead, um, at which point I was like, sweet, uh, this is done and dusted. <laughs> I was wrong. Um, but that was the first... Frank Kirby, Sam Kerr link-up goal since the 21st of November 2021. Uh, Harry Edwards tweeting, that takes them up to 30 altogether. Fran has assisted 18 for Sam, and Sam has done the same for 12 of Fran's goals. How crazy is it that after we had that run where it was like they didn't score without one another, we've we've waited this long to see another Frank Kirby, Sam Kerr link-up. And, and do you think this will set them back on the path to more? I think so. I think it hasn't helped the fact that in, in the last few months, just Frank Kirby has just not been able to have a run of games because of injury. So I, I think I think that has to be caveated into it. But when I saw the stat, I was like, Hol- it's been that, uh, come on, I, I can understand one or two months, but not that long. Really, we're like into the third year of, of, of this of this of this link up not being there. But, you know, it's crazy. Like, you're right. I, I think this could start. To, I think the fact that Kirby was playing closer to Sam Kerr um, today. I thought was a really, really good, um, really, really good uh, change. And I thought that I thought that brought it there. And I think the fa- the fact that um, they were able to link up and and bring that sort of you know that 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 chemistry back and that partnership back, I thought was really good. And I think, but I think the um, and I think Frank Kirby being in the team, I think just you can have Frank Kirby have a bad game for sixty minutes. And then she just needs one minute to change something. And I thought, um, and and I think with when those two are playing, and and even if you have one one or the other not in form, they can change the game in an instant. And so when you have two game changes like that, and 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 the fact that you know you we're looking at thirty goal contributions to to each other, it's it's incredible to have that sort of partnership there and have somebody who's able to to come through and 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 be able to do that sort of thing not many teams have a striking partnership that that yields so many goals so yeah i really i really think it's it's amazing and and the fact that it's on 30 now i can easily see this going up to 60 you know in like in the next 2 3 years yeah i i definitely think um we're going to see more of it but i also think it's testament to you know kind of chelsea's attacking prowess that we haven't had to rely on that connection. And if that, you know, if Fran's going to get the game time um, to allow them to kind of refine that, that's great. I definitely think there's been an adjustment uh, for both of them with having Fran playing as a 10 rather than on the right. But, you know, listen, Sam Kerr scores goals with or without Fran Kirby. Fran Kirby scores goals with or without Sam Kerr. And when they do it together, it's joyful, but it's great that it doesn't matter. Um, But let's talk about some of the negative stuff because... At 2-0 up, Liverpool do a bit of a shifteroo. They switch to a back three. They bring on Gemma Bonner. And this is where Chelsea got started to get a bit unsettled. And we saw, especially down Jess Carter's side, starting to struggle with the wit that Liverpool had been able to unlock. Um, what did you make of this kind of formation change and how Chelsea dealt with it? 
it was I think I think I think Chelsea struggled initially. I thought that I think this is the start of that period where I think control was lost. The pack I think the pass accuracy numbers went down in this period. I thought Chelsea, sh- you know, because then Chelsea suddenly being overloaded on on you know on the wide areas, and you know we've talked about Neve Charles and and Jess Carter being really good at you know maybe defending in one v one positions, and when you're playing up against you know a winger. Uh, and a fullback, and maybe Liverpool's fullbacks, you know, won't push up as much as fours, and you have to just deal with the with the wingers. Suddenly, when you're playing with wingbacks, suddenly, you know, they can push on two wingbacks, and then two players coming in inside, and and suddenly Carter, who, you know, is really good in one v ones, maybe isn't the best at covering the space for for overloads. Is 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 it becomes an issue, and then same thing for Neve Charles. She likes to go forward. Um, Defending against you know overloads is probably not her strong suit in terms of in terms of positioning. So I think that was one thing, and then that obviously caused um, the two centre backs to have to then shift across and try to help in the in the half spaces to to cover up all the space. And then obviously, while Aaron's really really good at the defending side of of the ball and being able to put in tackles and 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 being at the right place at the right time. I think this is probably where we started seeing Fleming maybe being um, overwhelmed a little bit in terms of the defensive responsibility of being able to cover and trying to go there. Like, yes, she'll run and press, uh, but maybe trying to be as defensive, you know, being that wall in front of the box, I think that might have um, caused some issues. So I really thought that Chelsea were just kind of surprised by the change and that I just don't think they reacted fast enough. Um, and you could suddenly see Liverpool gaining some sort of momentum they started getting a little bit of possession kind of playing it around Chelsea's box and suddenly Chelsea are on the back foot and and have to have to defend uh, have to defend deep and obviously Musovic was called into action a bit yeah and and this is kind of the time period where Kerry Holland scores uh, Liverpool's first goal it, it was a it was a very good shot um but Chelsea I think had got flappy they gave her too much time it's very easy I think with good long-range efforts to be like, ah, what can you do? But the fact is, like, uh, you're playing professional footballers. Most of them, if you give them time to line up a shot, are going to be able to, like, pull something out of their locker. You know, we say it when Tottenham leave Erin on mark, you're like, why would I do that? But it, like, <laughs> applies across the board. Um, and I think that's where we started to see this real disorganisation come in. And I was a bit surprised about how I felt Emma was trying to deal with it because it was like we ended up with this very weird shape at points where Lauren James was taken off and Canarud was brought on and Guru Rice was taken off and Sophie Inga was brought on, but then Canarud was like kind of on the left. So we had Neve Charles like just on her own down the right. And to be fair, Liverpool didn't really exploit it, but it was just like, again, it just felt like there were so many options. And until Marin Mielder came on, we didn't kind of get back to a more recognisable formation, but we do have a lot of options. Obviously, Buchanan had come off at halftime for Magda Eriksson, but I was just like, you know, we could choose to match them up. Um, you know, there are players we could have brought Marin on as a centre back, um, and and gone for a back three ourselves. But um, yeah, and I think that kind of then led into um, gonna skip ahead <laughs> a little bit, but that then led into some of the chaos that I think came from Liverpool's second goal. Obviously, we'd gone three one up already. Uh, Sam got her hat trick. Uh, just again, great movement. I think Neve might have been offside. She certainly looked offside to me, but whatever. Um, that was Sam's seventy seventh goal. Um, Liverpool just couldn't deal with her movement at all. Uh, but the goal counted, so that's good. Uh, so then we're three one up. But you've still got, I think, this real sense of unease around the shape Chelsea are playing in. Abdullah, were you surprised about kind of the way Emma Hayes approached some of her substitutions? A, a little bit. I I I definitely thought that um, you know uh, bringing on um, you know bringing on Canarid as 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 you know was 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 a, I thought it was a great one. But then to to bring bring them bring her and and Ingle on first, I thought was I think Ingle was great. I think Canarid. I thought I thought maybe a defensive change would have been uh, probably the first thing to come on. So I think when when Marin came on, I thought it was. Um, I thought it was a really good change. I think you needed that experience in there, somebody to come in. Like, obviously, we saw Marin do a job against Manchester City early in the season, and she did a really good job, you know, like uh, defending in those spaces. So, you know, bringing her on, I think, I think was the right call. But that probably would have been my my first uh, my first change uh, on on the right hand side. Overall, 
I think she made the right choices in terms of the in terms of the substitutions. I just felt like maybe the order could have been different. Um, to some extent, I, and I, I'm trying to th- I'm trying to think about this carefully here if, if, if I don't say anything, but I think in the period of when they were losing possession and maybe they could have used obviously they brought Ingle for that for that for that um, for the control. But maybe it called for, to bring on, um, maybe bring on Kankovic and, and maybe bring some creativity going forward. Because I think sitting on a 3-1 lead or a 2-1 lead was always dangerous, the way Liverpool started playing in that moment. So maybe bringing on two midfield controllers, getting in there, changing up the dynamics of the midfield and bringing somebody on who can thread a pass. And especially, like you said, if Liverpool were pressing up and pushing up higher, this was an opportunity to start playing players in behind and using girl rights and, and Sam Kerr's running in behind and and play and especially with Canary. So I think someone like Kankovic could have come in, played those long diagonals from midfield if if you know Chelsea were to counter. And you got three players in there, especially with Canary coming on, who can really stretch play and really stretch Liverpool's fullbacks. And I know that they brought on, I think, Taylor Hines as as one of the fullbacks on their left hand side. So it, it, and that was obviously for them to say, all right, we want to not push up. We're going to use wing back. So I thought maybe there was a missed opportunity there, possibly. But then that that was just the way I was thinking. But I think, yeah, I think overall, good subs. Maybe would have brought in Kankovic as well. But I think Marin probably should have come on first. I think just with the way the game was going. Yeah, and, and one sub who did come on was Melanie Leupold, obviously making her return uh she's been in the match day squad she was in the match day squad uh last week um but her first appearance chelsea since the 4-0 loss to wolfsburg in december of 2021 um after she's had her child uh i think in a footballing sense i want to touch on this in a footballing sense first and then i'm going to talk about it in a you know general sense but i think in a footballing sense this was also something where i was like oh, maybe this isn't the right time because I think we could see that maybe she wasn't quite up to speed. Um, but overall, I've done it like, it's really exciting to see her back, right? Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, we, we've we missed someone of her quality to, to come into this midfield and to have someone like that just not play, you know, since twenty the end back end of 2021, I think is 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 insane. The fact that Chelsea, you know, and we've, we've talked, we just talked about it, right? That, the fact that we've not been able to cope with this midfield issue, the fact that you've had a player of her quality outside, I think is, is a big, uh, big issue. But yeah, like you said, I think, I think, I think overall, just to see her on the pitch, come back, play for Chelsea and, you know, and, and, and look to look to play more games. I think it's just, it's incredible to see her come back and I'm, I'm excited for the future with her. Yeah. And obviously, you know, with the context of, of Sarah Bjork Gunnar's Dottir's kind of experiences that she wrote about at Leon and you know Magda Eriksson did a piece which is well worth checking out for the eye this week about you know how how Chelsea have kind of supported Leupoldt and I think it's just really exciting to see it she's she's obviously a great mo- role model um for you know women in football and in sport generally who want to be able to to go off and, and have a child um and then come back and still play professional football uh I think you know the the turnaround like athletically is just absolutely insane like if you stop and think about how crazy it is to like give birth and then be playing like professional football within you know what is it three months um it's it's just so impressive and it's testament to kind of Chelsea medical team and and Melanie Leupoldt and I think it's something to be really proud of that uh, as a club that we can uh support women and mothers uh, in whatever they want to go and do with their lives so they don't have to kind of pick and choose between their kind of sporting career and and what what they want to pursue in their their personal lives and um yeah I think obviously Emma Hayes's experience with with having her kid as well at, at the club is um really important I think in in how Chelsea have learned and adapted and and then dealt with the situation and I think it it's really cool and I can't wait to see Leupold's contribute for for the rest of the season. Um, Emma Hayes said after the game about about Melly, uh, it's brilliant. She needs time, which I think you could see, and it's difficult for her to go back into a game like that. Agree. Uh, she's doing everything she can. She's probably not sleeping a lot. She's probably trying to figure all that out. But we're so delighted to have her back. And yeah, I think it was um, it was quite an introduction <laughs> on Emma Hayes's part to put her on. Obviously, I think maybe at three one, she thought it wasn't going to be quite as nervy as it was. Um, but you know, all's well that ends well. We hung on uh we we won the match um we're through to the next round uh just a couple more quotes from emma um 
It became a lot of long ball percentage football, which for me just turns it into a scrap. It becomes disorganised, chaotic and not fun to watch at times, but we have to accept that some teams can do this. We're through to the next round of the cup, which is the most important thing, but I think people need to stop thinking we will always have this domination because we are playing a strong opponent who are all professional footballers. They're very good at what they do, and I thought in the last 35 minutes or so they executed what they do very well. Um, I don't know. I'd, I'd be intrigued to see what, what you think about that. Do we have a bit of... um? too high standard for Chelsea sometimes in these kind of games. You know, Liverpool are a team who I think their position in the WSL doesn't reflect how good they are as a team and their quality of the players they've got in their team. Um, I still think the nature of the goals we conceded is frustrating and shouldn't have happened. But is it still, like, should we be walking away saying, well, you know, like, it's impressive, like, that we scored three and, and we won and... This was probably, you know, the the hardest, like one of the hardest FA Cup fixtures that that anyone was drawn in this weekend. Yeah, no, I agree. I think I think the fact that you know, I think I think take two things to perspective. I think one, you're right, it's one of the hardest, if not the hardest, uh, cup game for the weekend against Liverpool. That's one. Liverpool are a bogey team. I think we've seen that now. They've, they've played us a couple of times, and even in those six minutes of last week, I thought, like you said, I think. We're able to see that Liverpool can cause issues. I think they're they're I, I think they're a team that are actually really really good. And I think for their first season, I think the points don't reflect how good I think they actually are. And I thought Matt, I think Matt Beard's done a decent job assembling that squad and and bringing the players that they have. And obviously, I think we're um, they're missing Leanne Kiernan, who got injured in that first game of the season. So they're missing one of their better players, one of the better up and coming players as well. And kind of Katie, bringing Katie Stengel from from the US, I think was a really good move. So they've built a really good squad. I think they've got a. I think they've got a squad that can not just stay in the division. I think they can challenge the uh, the middle of the table and and kind of be a, a, a long stay in at uh, at the club. And the fact that they've been able to cause you know a team like Chelsea issues not just once but um on, on okay fine maybe maybe you can call the first game a little bit lucky and then they got a couple of penalties they scored Chelsea are notoriously slow in terms of their starting of the season but I mean based on the other games and today uh, you know they are they are a team that that are on the up and I think they can do well I mean you look back they they just they lost 2-1 to Man City in October and then they lost 2-0 to them in the cup you know, in, in December's. Uh, it's, I mean, that's not thing to hold her hands about. They lost 2-0 to Arsenal. But none of these are, like... I mean, except for the United game, which was 6-0, fine, fair enough. That's that's a beating. But none of the other games are like they were completely out of the park in terms of a scoreline perspective. And so the fact that they can hang in there and, you know, you know, get those... give those teams something to play against and, and like, you know, end up beat, winning games, like, okay, they beat... West Ham 2-0 in December. They've had a couple of big, you know, like three. They had a 3-3 against Brighton. They had it straight after a 3-3 against Reading. So they know how to score. They know how to play. I think they're an exciting team. And it's just, I think they just need to, they just, for them, it's survival. And then just be consistent and get used to the league. And I think next season, we're really going to see a better Liverpool side, I think. All right, let's wrap up this game. Um, there is a runaway winner on the London is Blue podcast Twitter player of the match poll, but neither of us chose her, Abdullah. Um, Sam Kerr is currently winning with 94% of the vote for her hat-trick over on Twitter. That's fair enough. But, you know, like, look, we're cool. We're hipster. We're, we're <laughs> football intellectuals. And we've both gone for... Aaron the Rocket Cuthbert. Okay, I didn't put the rocket bit in. That's I did that. Like, that's fine. That's fine. Because in my Cuthbert world, that like... that refers to Ronnie O'Sullivan. So, but you know, the Scottish Fair pocket enough. rocket, I guess. That's fine. We can call it the Scottish Scottish pocket rocket. But Aaron Cuthbert is just oh, I, if I I need to, I need to get a I need to get a jersey with the Aaron Cuthbert name. I think that's just decided. I just need to do Aaron. If you're listening to this, I'm a biggest fan. So, you know, if you want to send me one signed, I'm totally happy. I just you know. Give me an, I'll give you an address. But um, no, I thought she was amazing again. I th- for me, the biggest thing is consistency. She's been playing nonstop every single game, week in, week out, and she does not look like she's fatigued or tired at all. Consistency's there, 8 to 9 out of 10, you know, rating games a week. I mean, if anything, 
I would just say that I think this can this transformation from being a winger wing back to a six eight. It's been one of the best best conversions of positional conversions I've seen in a long, long time in terms of kind of settling into the role really quickly. But at the same time, being able to become this rock in Chelsea's midfield where you're like, well, you can't drop Aaron Cuthbert anymore. You've got to basically pair her with somebody else. There's no option. You can't just drop Aaron Cuthbert. So, yeah, I think it's I think she's she was amazing again. And and, and I think she's she, she'll hold one of the keys to any sort of success for the rest of the season. Yeah, and I mean, I totally understand why people are voting for Sam Kerr. Like, she was amazing today. I said it before, she scored three. She could have had way more. Um, her movement, everything was fantastic. I just I just thought that in the first kind of 45 minutes, the first 60 minutes, the way Erin Cuthbert was able to disrupt Liverpool's play, to be a constant option um, for playing out from the back to be everywhere on the pitch, to be constantly bringing that level of energy. Um, it just really impressed me. And maybe it's because, from my view, I couldn't see Sam that much for the first half. And Erin was more in my eyeline. Sometimes that's the way it goes when you're watching football, you know? Uh, but yeah, shout out to Erin. Shout out to Sam. Shout out to the rest of the team. Um, funny game where it was kind of like we were bad at points, but I still thought everyone was quite good. Um, that's the way it goes sometimes, I guess. And we're into the next round of the FA Cup. So, quick roundup of how everyone else did. Um, most people, most of the games are boring and everyone went through as expected. Spurs beat London City 5-0. Man City beat Sheffield United 7-0. Arsenal beat Leeds 9-0. The main shot was Birmingham knocked out Everton. Uh, Manchester United were drawing 1-1 Sunderland, but they, they scored again to go through as well. Reading have just knocked out Leicester City on penalties, and Aston Villa are currently 6-0 up at half-time against Fylde. So I think we know what will happen there. Um, not entirely sure when the draw is for the next round, but uh, we'll let you know when it happens. Um, Chelsea have got coming up uh, Spurs on next Sunday in the WSL and then we were drawn against West Ham I think that's the nicer draw uh, <laughs> in the Conti Cup we will be playing that on either the 8th or 9th that's not been confirmed at February uh, Man City Arsenal in the, in the other half of the draw obviously and then it's going to be the international break so uh, when we come back we will have Brighton, United City and Villa as our next WSL fixtures uh, Champions League draw coming up soon as well worth keeping an eye on Abdullah yeah. Thank you very much for joining me. Always a pleasure. Love it. We will be back with our Welcome to Chelsea Football Club Katie McCade podcast midweek. Until then, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high. Ooh.